0: So in the climax of the the 2005 hit, and I feel very old saying that, Batman Begins, uh, Rachel Dawes asks Batman who he is. And he cleverly answers her question by quoting a line she said earlier in the film. It's not who I am underneath, but what I do that defines me. The point being, uh, who he is isn't important. But the work he does uh, every night that he goes out, that is what matters. But also he's Bruce Wayne. And I think a lot of us view people this way. Uh, Often one of the first things we ask someone when meeting them is, what do you do? Or what sport or instrument do you play? Uh, We often define and are defined by the things we accomplish, and that sometimes can overshadow uh, the person doing them. And I wonder if that happens with Jesus. Now certainly the works of Jesus are, are worth talking about, and we'll do so next week. But oftentimes, I think when we talk about Jesus, we reduce him to a loving, sacrificial act. We, uh, at times, make a beeline for the cross and the benefits that, that we receive from it without reflecting much on the person who hung upon it. And so what we're going to do this evening is try to wrap our minds around the person of Jesus. And this is actually quite difficult because we will get into things that, frankly, we can't comprehend. Uh, see, within these three phrases of the creed, we are going to find some of the hardest to grasp truths in Christianity. And I'm not just, and I'm just going to tell you right now, uh, I will not be able to explain these or answer all of your questions. It's just not going to happen. But, but I don't want you to be discouraged by the complexity of Jesus or use it as an argument for rejecting him. Uh, there are many things in this world that we do not understand fully. Um, gravity, for example. I do not understand the intricacies of gravity, and yet my inability to completely grasp it doesn't prevent me from believing that it's true. The person of Jesus is much the same way. And so tonight we're going to look at the person of Jesus and why that's so important. And the first thing we, we learn about Jesus's person is that Jesus is God's only son. And what this means has sparked uh, countless debates, and it once divided the church for years. Uh, There was one camp that said, well, God the Father is God, and Jesus is God, and they're equal. And then there's another group that's saying, no, there's only one God, you polytheist. Jesus is God's son, which means he's lesser than God. And when we think about it, we can understand why there was this confusion, right? Some places in Scripture, Jesus is equal to God, such as Philippians 2.5. And other times, he's subordinate to God the Father. Uh, like in the Gospels, uh, Gospel of John, when he talks about doing the will of the Father. Um, so which is it? Uh, well, uh, it, it's, it's actually both. Jesus is equal to God the Father in essence, but different in person. And, and the way that we talk about this normally is the Trinity, uh, which is our attempt to explain how God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit relate to each other. We believe that God is One what and three three who's, and the what refers to their nature or essence, the who refers to the person. And I know that's kind of confusing, so let's do it like this. Who has a dog? Okay, what is your dog's name? Charlie. Charlie, okay. So, Charlie, Charlie is a dog, okay. Someone, so there's three angels named in the Bible, Michael, Gabriel, and um, Lucifer. Someone pick one of those three. Gabriel, thank you. Gabe. Uh, And then Adam. Perfect. Thank you for volunteering. Adam is a human. Okay. Up here, we have three whos and three what's right each one is a different nature dog angel human And each one is a different who a different person charlie gabe adam what we are saying in the trinity is that uh, father son and holy spirit are different who's but they are one what i know that's confusing um, and I know that you can start to poke holes on it, and like, yeah, but what about this, this, and this? I, I don't know. All I know is that God is one, and that he is three persons. Like I said, dissatisfy answer, I know, but, but, but this is what we're confessing. So what that means for the person of Jesus uh, it, it, it is that, that, that Jesus, when we say that Jesus is God's only son, we're saying that he is the same what as God the Father, but he is a different person who. They relate to each other uh, uh, differently because they're different persons. Uh, And and, and since this is what Jesus is, the next description of him really makes perfect sense. He is Lord. Uh, Now to our ears, Lord doesn't sound that impressive. Uh, I was talking to Kyle a couple of weeks ago and and he said that for a hundred bucks you can buy like this tiny piece of land over in England and become a Lord and that can become your legal name. So you could be Lord Will Trenta. Right, if you just spend 100 bucks over in Great Britain. Uh, Lord sounds like an important thing, but it's been cheapened by being accessible to a lot of people. Perhaps king would be a better word for us, because back in Jesus' day, to be Lord referred to the supreme ruler. Uh, that's why the word Lord is often used in the Bible to talk about God, because he is the Almighty One, like we saw last week. And the appropriate response to, to the king, the, the supreme ruler of the land, is to adore them and be loyal to them, right? And this is why the Christians were persecuted, because they held up Jesus, not Caesar, as the supreme ruler of the world. But the creeds put forth Jesus as the true Lord of the earth, a- a- and they, they back it up. They explain why he deserves our love and loyalty, and this is why. Because he was conceived of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. And, and within these two statements, Jesus is presented as the God-man. Um, and here's, there's a technical name for this, so if you want to impress your parents, go home and tell them that we talked about the hypostatic union of Christ, uh, which just means that Jesus is 100% God, 100% man, 100% of the time. In other words, he's not like Shazam. Uh, if you're familiar with the comic book hero, uh, Billy Batson uh, receives the power of Shazam anytime, which basically turns him into Superman. Uh, and he accesses these powers by shouting Shazam. Uh, and he like transforms into this demigod-like guy. But then he says Shazam again, and he's the normal kid. And so, so do you see the difference? Billy Batson cycles back and forth between God and man. Jesus doesn't do that. He wasn't walking around as a normal guy and then would duck into a closet every time a miracle had to happen and he'd switch into God mode. Jesus is always 100% God and 100% man. A- a- and what this union means is that, is that in Jesus we have someone who is perfect and sinless and yet gets being human. Uh, he understands that the struggle is real. Uh, Hebrews 4.15 puts it like this, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And this is really the heart of Christianity and and the the chief question we and everyone needs to grapple with. Mm -hmm. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus to you? And I want you to understand why everything hinges on the person of Jesus. And and to do that, we really need to zoom out and look at the whole story of the Bible. And it's best to start right at the beginning. So in Genesis 1-1, it tells us, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And normally when we think about heaven and earth, we think of heaven being up there and earth being down here. Uh, But I want you to think of it in terms of space. Uh, heaven is God's space, and earth is our space, which is really a false dichotomy in the beginning because the two were completely unified and in perfect harmony. But then Adam and Eve sinned. They rebelled against God, and in trying to have a, a world without God, they drove the two spaces apart. So now we have heaven and earth separated and opposed to each other. And so the whole story of the Bible is actually answering the question, how can heaven and earth... Be reunited. And we get hints of that throughout the, uh, the Old Testament when they talk about the tabernacle and the temple. So the temple, or its mobile form, the tabernacle, was the spot where God's space and man's space would overlap. Um, it was the place that, that allowed man to enter into God's presence and share the same space as him. And so here we see God breaking in to man's space. Uh, However, there were a few restrictions. Like, if you were a woman, you couldn't go in. If you weren't Jewish, you couldn't go in. If you lived more than, like, 20 miles, the chances of you being there were, like, slim to none. And and so it it was in the right direction, but its effectiveness was severely limited. Uh, That is, until Jesus came on the scene. Uh, Jesus shows up, and the Apostle John says in John 1.14, And the word, referring to Jesus, became flesh, and he dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And this word, dwelt, is a, a very interesting word because it means to tabernacle among us. Do you, do you see what John is saying? That, that Jesus became flesh and was the temple of, among us, that Jesus is the point where heaven and earth are brought together and it happens in his person. Humanity and the divine are reconciled in him. And because of who he is and what he's done, which we'll talk about next week, heaven and earth can be reunited. That's why he's the Lord. Because only he could bring God's space and our space back together to reconcile us all with God. And here's what I want us to take away from all this. If he is Lord, if he is the supreme ruler, that means we are not. And though we we say that often, um, that he's in charge, uh, I think we frequently forget that and overstep our limits of authority. Uh, This is certainly something the disciples struggled with. Uh, Leading up to the night that Jesus was betrayed, the disciples would argue amongst themselves of who would be the greatest, who would have the most power, and how they'd use it. And so on the night that Jesus was betrayed, Jesus decides at dinner to wash each one's feet, which was a, a demeaning task if ever there was one. And we're told in John 13, starting verse 12, that when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, You see what I'm driving at? The Lord, the supreme ruler of all things, used his position to care for and exalt you. What then should we do? Well, we should use our power, our authority to care for and exalt others. And I know you're sitting there thinking, I don't have any power. But you do. See, some of you are, are, are the, the older students at school, right? You have suffered at the hands of upperclassmen for years, and now you're finally top dog. And you can't wait to make those fresh meat feel the pain that you did. Wash their feet, metaphorically, of course. Use your power for their benefit. Or some of you have younger siblings. Use your power for their good, not your own benefit. Guys, Mark 10.45 tells us that Jesus came not to be served, but to serve we as his followers, his people, should do no less. And this is why we believe that Jesus Christ, his only, and Jesus Christ's only son, our Lord, who was conceived of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary.